Acts chapter 2 is our passage this morning. We're in the midst of a series entitled Together. And this morning, the title of the message is Baptized and Added Together. Acts chapter 2 is our passage this morning. We're going to begin reading in verse 22. So if you can open your Bibles and read along with me, that would be great. Acts 2, beginning in verse 22. Let's read. Men of Israel, hear these words. The Apostle Peter said, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. And we've been reading about those in our Matthew series. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Oh, what a glorious day this was. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, we desire to see you continue to do what you 
did in the early church here. And thank you that all over the world, that is what you're doing. Today, the gospel is being preached in thousands upon thousands of churches all around the world. And they are heralding the name of your son. And there's no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved. And your name, Jesus, alone can save. And we thank you that you are saving souls in mass all around the world. Holy Spirit, we thank you for convicting men and women of sin and righteousness and judgment and cutting us to the heart, but cutting sinners to the heart all over the world and saving their souls and adding them to your church. As Ben was just mentioned in Egypt, Lord God, the gospel's going forth. We thank you for the way your gospel all over the world is bearing fruit and growing. And we pray that your precious and glorious gospel would continue to advance in the life of our church into our own hearts and minds and our lives, but also as we proclaim Him. Lord, we ask for sinners to be saved and converted and won to You, and that they would be given grace to repent, to be baptized, and to be added to Your church. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It is so good to see you this morning, church. So excited to dip into this series again over the summer that we've entered into, entitled Together. We looked last week at the early church gathered together in Acts 1, and they were all in one accord. And we see that that Jesus said to them to wait in Jerusalem until the power of the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon them, and they would be clothed with power from on high and empowered to be His witnesses. And here we see the evidence of that empowerment. We see Peter who formerly shrunk back and denied Jesus three times boldly in the power of the Holy Spirit proclaiming Christ at the risk of his life here in Jerusalem. Christ is being exalted. He's being proclaimed and he's being enjoyed here in Acts chapter 2 as people are being saved and baptized and added to his church. We see that at the center of and at the heart of the preaching is the message of Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for sinners and he rose from the grave. This message of the death, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the substitutionary atonement, and also the resurrection of Christ from the dead represents really the, the central focus of this message. And we must always ever remain Christ-centered together in our fellowship, and in our worship, and in our preaching here as a local church. And you have our pledge and commitment to do just that. The power of God through the gospel was unleashed and souls were being saved. The Holy Spirit was on the move, cutting sinners to the heart. As we see in verse 37, when they heard the glorious gospel, they were cut to the heart, the Word of God says. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what He goes on the move doing all around the world. With regards to lost sinners, He is convicting them of sin and helping them to see their need for a Savior and and urging them to turn to Christ in repentance and faith. And the Holy Spirit moved and worked, and He did, in fact, convict. And this glorious question arises out from the heart of the hearers here on the day of Pentecost. 
they ask Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? There's this heart here to do whatever it takes to respond to this message that we ourselves crucified and killed the Christ. You see here in verse 23 where Peter calls them out and says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. We see that God's sovereignty and plan and purpose is the reason for the cross. God loved us and sent His Son to die for us, but we also see that there's a, another will at work that brought about the crucifixion of the Son of God. And it, it's our sin. And we see here, He says to them, you crucified Him and you killed Jesus by the hands of lawless men. He repeats it again in verse 36. He drives the stake home into their hearts when He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. He doesn't hold back. He impresses upon them their personal responsibility for the cross. And brothers and sisters, this morning as we look at this series entitled Together, I want to look at the first point, which is together in repentance. Together in repentance. This question arises... Brothers, what shall we do? And it arises out of the point that the Holy Spirit convicts them that what Peter actually says here is true. You crucified the Son of God. We can think that we weren't physically present there, that so that we weren't responsible for this in the same way as the sinners who actually put the nails in Jesus' hands. But brothers and sisters, I love the glorious hymn that heralds the truth. It was my sin that held Him there until it was accomplished. It's so true. Christ died for our sins. Christ died for your sins on the cross. And it was indeed your sins and mine that held Him up there on the cross screaming in agony being forsaken by His Father. Brothers and sisters, that's real. And I want to ask you, when is the last time that you have owned your personal responsibility for the cross and the crucifixion of Christ? Because until we see that the cross was something done by us, we can never fully enjoy and rejoice in the fact that the cross was something done for us in love. We have first got to own our personal responsibility for the Son of God, hanging up there on the cross, dying in our place, and own that it was my sin that held Him there until it was accomplished. Christ hung up on the cross the full measure of time that it took to satisfy God's wrath against your sins and not a moment shorter. He did that for you. He did that for me. And church, we must 
reckon with our personal responsibility for the cross. John Stott in the book called The Cross of Christ said, until we see the cross as something done for us, we must see the cross as something done by us. We've got to recognize our personal responsibility for the cross or we will never be led to repentance, which is exactly where Peter, the apostle, leads the people when they say, brothers, what shall we do? Peter gives them a response. This is a response to the gospel. This is God's call to us. He says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The first word here is repent. It's interesting in the Gospel of Matthew and in the other Gospels that when Jesus comes and heralds the kingdom of God for the very first time, Jesus himself actually begins heralding the truth by saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance is one of those words that gets a very bad rap in our culture. We don't even want to hear it. It causes us to cringe, to to think of it. And yet, brothers and sisters, we as the body of Christ must not be uncomfortable with sin and the call to repentance. It must be something that we reckon with again and again. and, And we celebrate as we look back at our conversion, but we also reckon with in our current lives as well. At the very beginning... When they were cut to the heart, brothers, what shall we do? Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, calls them to say, and he says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. This word, repent, is metanoia in the original. It speaks to a changing of your mind toward your sin. A change of mind leading to a change in behavior and change in action. You see this theme, repentance is, is change. It first begins in your mind. The way that I have been going, I need to turn away from that. I can't go in this direction anymore. I need to go in God's direction To have godly sorrow over our sin. But also, brothers and sisters, not just godly sorrow toward our sin, but a turning away from it. To confess our sin and to forsake our sin. Both of these things are involved in repentance. And I've got to reckon with this truth in my own soul. We've talked about this many times before, but it it is not enough simply to say, Jesus is my Savior. I believe in Him. The question is, is Jesus also my Lord? Have I bowed my knee to Him? Am I following Him? Have I confessed my sin to Him? Have I also turned away from my sins in repentance? 
The evidence of repentance, brothers and sisters, is a transformed life. Every one of us in here, if you call yourself a Christian, you should be able to look in your life, and I should be able to look in mine, and we should be able to say, I am a different person because Christ has saved me. And I wonder, can you do that? Brothers and sisters, it's important to remember that none of us are born Christians. It's important, especially for younger people who have grown up in the church, you can almost be tempted to not see any dividing line. You've kind of always been here. You've always been in this church body. And so you could be tempted to think that you've always loved Jesus. You've always grown up in the church and that there was never any real need for repentance. My friend, please Let me urge upon you this call of response to the gospel that Peter urged on these first believers that were added to the church that day when they heard the message about Jesus Christ dying on the cross for their sins and rising from the dead. They said, brothers, what shall we do? And I want to ask you, is that your heart? What shall I do with this message about God sending His Son to die on the cross For my sins that I'm responsible for. And I want to urge you also to repent. There is no salvation without repentance. Repentance and faith go together. They are two sides of the same coin. Every person who savingly believes has a repentant faith. And everyone who savingly repents, believingly repents. That's the nature of true saving faith. We must recognize that repentance and turning away from our sin isn't isn't a form of works salvation or works righteousness by which we are saved. It is a response, a grace-empowered response to the gospel that whenever someone's truly born again, they ask the question, what shall we do? They hear from the Holy Spirit, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And because the knee is bowed to the Lordship of Christ, the Spirit says, yes, Lord. I am turning away from that old life. Have you turned away from your old life? It is possible to attend church all your life and never have turned away from your old life. And we want to urge all of us to reckon with that reality. There are many people on the day of judgment we read in Matthew chapter 7 who will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this? Did we not do that? And live their whole lives in the church perhaps, but they never, ever submitted their heart to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They were never truly saved. They were deceived. And I think often the dividing line is you can talk to people all the time. Hey, have you ever believed in Jesus Christ? Have you ever trusted in Him? Oh, yeah, yeah, I believed. I believed. So many people that I evangelize say that they believe. But the issue goes forth down into, have they experienced any evidence 
of true saving faith, which is that they have repented of their sins, that they've turned away, that they've come out from the world, and they've come into the church. Has that happened in their life? Because there's so many people out there floating around, deceived, thinking that they're born again, thinking that they're saved, and they've never repented. And sometimes it's because people have not even called them to repentance. Pastors and church leaders shy away from messages on repentance and messages on sin. I heard a story about one pastor who just said, yeah, I don't talk about sin anymore. People are bummed out enough in life, and we don't need to go there. Very common, very popular. But brothers and sisters, we must take a look at sin. This is what Christ came to die for, and Christ called to save us out from. We were saved. From our sins. And we were saved unto eternal life in Christ. Have you experienced that real change of mind leading to a change of behavior? The person who has been truly born again no longer lives in sin. They struggle with remaining indwelling sin. And every true Christian has the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. We've received a new nature. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, and behold, the new has come. Praise God. The old is gone, and the new has come. But we still struggle with remaining indwelling sin. Here's the difference. You hate that you still have remaining indwelling sin, and you're constantly in a battle against it. Unbelievers live in their sin. And unless they repent, sadly, they will die in their sin. And they will go to hell forever. We need to remind ourselves constantly of this reality. We need to wake up from the slumber and the stupor. And Ben mentioned this earlier during the announcements. In this world that is so crazy and focused on so many other things and distracted, We as the church cannot be distracted and take our our eye off of this ball. We have got to preach Christ and Him crucified, risen from the grave, joyfully and happily as a real true hope of salvation. And we must, when that cuts people to the heart, we must not shrink back and, and, and sugarcoat it. We need to tell them, you need to turn away from your old life and you need to repent and you need to come out from the world and come into the church. We are saved by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. But brothers brothers and sisters, true saving faith is always a repentant faith. It's a faith that bows its knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so if any of you are one of those who say, yeah, I've embraced Jesus as my Savior, but I haven't embraced Him as my Lord. Friend, can I please urge you, that condition, I fear, is one that will lead you on the final day to be one of those in Matthew 7. You have not yet turned away from your old life. We've got to turn away from our old life in order to be saved. We've got to come out from this crooked generation. We've got to come out together from this crooked generation and follow Jesus Christ and repent and be baptized and When we do, 
it evidences the fact that we truly have been born again by the grace of God. And brothers and sisters, this is a real, this is what happens immediately when you're saved, that call to repent. But as Martin Luther said when he nailed the 95 theses to the door at Wittenberg in December 31st, 1517, and ushered forth in the providence of God, the Protestant Reformation, thesis number one said that the Christian life is meant to be a lifetime of repentance. Meaning, we don't take the mentality of, oh yeah, conversion, I did all that, I've been there, done that, now I live my entire life for the world. Yeah, I've got my hell insurance. I believed in Jesus. I repented all the way back then, 10, 15 years ago. But but right now, my life is just lived. Yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I do that. And me and God are good. But God has no bearing on everyday life. The implications of the gospel have no grip on our heart because we are really living for this world. But we've got our hell insurance and we want the world too. That is not true saving Christianity. Christianity that is real is a Christianity where lifelong we are secure and resting in the grace of God, but we also are, like Martin Luther was saying, living a a lifestyle of repentance. I can tell you this. Repent is always a relevant word in my life. It's not just a word of the past. It's a word for me right now. Brothers and sisters, it's a word for you too. Where right now? Not just have you repented. I'm asking you, my brothers and sisters, where right now do you need to repent? We are all tested and tempted and tried, even as Jesus was throughout his entire life. We're all being tempted and enticed. As James 1 says, to be dragged away and enticed by our own evil desires. And brothers and sisters, year by year, I see it happen more and more. I see brothers and sisters who have been on the journey of following Christ for a very long time. They become weary in the journey, and they start really starting to look elsewhere in terms of wanting to get satisfaction out of this life. And they let go of Christ! We have got to run this race all the way to the end. We've got to recognize that there are crossroads right now in my life as to whether or not am I going to... Am I going to follow Christ or am I going to take off into the direction of the world? Am I going to move away from my faith? And am I going to wander off? It's a very real temptation and all of us must reckon with it. The Christian is on the pathway to heaven. They are living, believing in Christ, resting in His grace, repenting of their sins. And, but we are constantly being bombarded with voices telling us to turn to the right and to the left. When I was thinking about this, I was reminded of Siri. Got sort of this love-hate relationship with Siri. Love being able to just type in an address and then just be able to drive. Isn't that a gift? (laughs) It's awesome. Those of you who have that directional guide. 
And, you know, they've been advancing Siri. Because if you don't like Siri's voice, like my wife downloaded uh, who we call now affectionately in our family is Bradford. He's an English-speaking guy. He's got a nice British accent, mate. Um, a little Australian mixed in there. Um, and we love Bradford. But there's all kinds of new apps that come out. There's an app called Waze that I was encouraged to download. We did on a recent family vacation trip, and it was a bless. It was a blast listening to all the different voices of navigation that are out there. There's actually a boy band <laughs> voice. Every time it's like, turn right. <laughs> that was a favorite of one of my children. Scared us though, you know. <laughs> my personal favorite on our trip was Shaq's voice. And as we were driving down the road, he would shout out, Hey, look, there's a hazard ahead. Don't get into a Shaxident. And I loved it. I loved hearing his voice. He was guiding me along well. But there was this point in the journey where, if you ever had this happen, where you've actually, for whatever reason, Siri or Shaq have the wrong address. And you know that you actually have to go yet another 15, 20 miles down the road. But all of a sudden, for whatever reason, uh, Shaq thinks he knows better than you. And he starts counseling you. And you're turning, you're going straight, and you know where you need to go. You know your destination. And all of a sudden, he's like, Turn left. And you like, no, I know where I'm going now. Turn left. You keep going down the next road. Turn left. And finally, you're just like, oh, my goodness, shut you off because you keep trying to get me to turn left off of this road. We know where we need to go. We need to continue to follow Christ. We need to obey his word. We need to submit to the authority of the word of God and not to our feelings. But the enemy is often a voice that is seeking to get us off of the highway and get us to turn on to side streets, pursuing our own personal happiness at the expense of holiness and following the Lord. Popular sitcom illustrates this well in following navigation app where Blindly, the driver just continued to follow the directions of Siri right up until the point where if you would continue to follow the direction Siri was saying, you would drive into a pond, into a lake. And there's actually a story of one saying, listen, don't drive into the lake. But no, Siri's telling me to go there. I need to go into the lake. No, don't listen to Siri. Siri's going to steer you wrong here. But there's this mentality, almost this robotic following of this voice telling me, go straight. I can't go straight. I'm going to go into the lake. I need to use my common sense right now, Shaq. I can't go this direction. I need to go where I know I need to go. Our feelings combined with Satan himself are going to throughout our Christian lives as we're on the highway to heaven are going to seek to time and time again throughout our Christian life all the way until we get to the finish line. There's going to be temptations beckoning us to turn right, to turn left. 
And we might think we're just turning off just for a little while. But the real intention is to turn right and then for it to tell us again, turn right and then turn left and to actually get us back on the highway and we think we're good and it might even feel right but we're actually going in the opposite direction that God desires for us to go in. Brothers and sisters, this really is an important thing for us to keep in mind. We must recognize that the word repent is ever relevant for our lives. And we must take constantly to heart the call to have a repentant posture toward God together. And I simply want to ask you, where is God calling you to repent this morning? Where do you need to, standing at the crossroads of some temptation you're facing right now, where do you need to say to the voice telling you, turn right, turn right, turn right, where do you need to shut it off this morning and say, no, I'm going straight. I'm going to continue to follow the Lord. Maybe some of you find yourself in a place right now, you're saying it's, it's a little too late, I've, I've turned off to the right. I've actually turned right twice and left, and I've actually done a 180. I want to highlight to you the grace of God. He's brought you here to hear the word of God, and it's not too late for you to repent and to turn from your sins this morning, my dear friend, and to receive, as the word of God says here in verse 38, the forgiveness of your sins. The good news of the glorious gospel is that your sins, all of them, in total, can be completely forgiven. The wrath against those sins, the punishment you deserve, be completely satisfied. And we are so burdened in this church that you would know the hope of the gospel this morning and that you would repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. Let us also be a church that is very real with one another about the current call of the lifestyle and the lifetime of repentance as Luther talked about. Let us, when we are facing great temptations in our hearts, let us be open and honest about those temptations. Let us not think, ah, I'm good. I don't need to share this in care group. I don't need to open up and ask for prayer right now. Listen, no, you're tempted. We all are tempted. We are all tried. Jesus was tempted. Jesus was tried. Satan did not stop right up until he goes to the cross, beckoning him to turn back from the cross. He was straining under the temptation to turn back so greatly in Gethsemane that he was sweating drops of blood. The pressure was so great. The Christian life is not easy. We are going to be tempted and tried. And Christ Community Church, I want this. I desire this. I believe the Lord desires this. For us to be a church that doesn't self-righteously judge one another for struggles that we have, but we can bring any struggle and put it up on the table with one another. And we can be open with one another and real and share our hearts that, 
Oh my goodness, I was tempted to wander last week. And, or, or I did, I found myself turning right. And I, I'm here tonight because I'm in need because I need to get back on the highway and I need some help. Would you please pray for me? Let, let's be real together as a church in relation to our fellowship and our community and not put on airs or pretense and act like we've got it all together when we know because the word of God says we are, we are tempted and we are tried. We are saved. We have been called out of darkness. We have been forgiven of our sins. And we are currently in the fight of faith. And the church is to be a place where we can come together and take refuge in Christ together and fight for God together and fight for one another's souls together. To be a vibrant community that really cares, that really gets one another's back, that really looks and says, yes, indeed, I am my brother's keeper. And I want to help my brother. I want to help my sister on their journey toward heaven. I want to spur them on to get there. I want to help them. Some of you are so beaten down right now, so weary. You are so tempted that many times you've been on the verge of just turning right and then turning right again. And then turning left. God's people, it's ever been that way. After the Israelites were delivered out of Egypt, they had seen the chariots crushed under the mighty hand of God as they were delivered and saved out of Egyptian slavery. And it didn't take long before they were saying, I want to go back to Egypt. Friends, we're all going to face that temptation to want to go back to Egypt, to want to enjoy the pleasures of sin that lasts, Hebrew says, only for a short while, but in the end it leads to death. But the pleasures of sin bait and tempt us all. Satan dangles it in front of us and tells us, no, turn aside. And brothers and sisters, we must fight together. We must band together to hold firm together and hold fast to Christ together, to change our minds together about sin and encourage one another and admonish one another to stay on the path, to stay on the journey, to stay on the highway so that we follow through all the way to the finish line. I want to encourage all of us to take such a mindset to look out for each other in that way. This call here to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit as a call for us to come out from the world and to publicly make it known that we identify with Jesus Christ, as Ben mentioned earlier. Ben mentioned this. We want to encourage all of you. Baptism precedes the participation in the Lord's Supper. If you have not been baptized, we, and this is particularly relevant for us with those of us with children, we want to encourage you to encourage your children that the first step to take is baptism in the church. Preach the gospel to them, just like Peter preached the gospel in the book of Acts. Lead your child to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And then also repent and be baptized. We want to help our kids to really know what that means. We want them not to have a very 
confused mindset about what baptism is and for them to really be able to measure up and say in their own hearts, I really want to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. I'm turning away from my old life and to follow Christ. When you have a child who understands that and really understands what they're doing, that's kind of what we want to do. We want to, we want to protect our kids from having a baptism experience that they didn't even really know what they were doing when they did it. We want them to really know what they are doing when they do it. And, and we as parents, we've got to watch this because I think sometimes we can be sentimental when it comes to these things or even fearful. I've, I've had parents, they've wanted to baptize their kids just because they're scared because their kids haven't been baptized yet. And it's sort of like this overflow and this aftermath of sort of a Roman Catholicism superstition that if you don't get your kid baptized, they're not going to be saved. Listen, the good news is that we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone and not by baptism. Baptism symbolizes the salvation that takes place when we believe in Jesus Christ and repent and turn from our sins. So baptism doesn't save us, but baptism is very important. As Ben mentioned earlier, we want to encourage you, if you've not been water baptized as an adult, we'd encourage you to sign up. We'd love to see you celebrate your public identification with the Lord Jesus Christ, of coming out from the world, turning from your sins and saying, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Whether you're five years old or 50 years old, it's glorious when someone says, oh, I just want to publicly identify with myself and with all of you together as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that I have been united together with Christ through faith. I have repented of my sins. I I was once dead in my sin, but now I'm alive in Christ Jesus, all because of his death and burial and resurrection from the dead. We want to encourage you, some of you adults, you were maybe infant baptized. We want to encourage you to really pray about this. When you're an infant, you can't choose for yourself to be baptized. We believe that the scriptures teach believer's baptism, which means that if you haven't personally made the decision as either a child or an adult to be baptized, we want to really encourage you to pray about that and really just reckon with it. What we want you to do is if you if you decide not to, let it not be because it's just an inconvenience or it's just a little embarrassing to you or just some lesser, less noble reason. We want you to be rooted in the scriptures on the decision. And we want you to make your decision based off of the authority of the word of God and not based off of just, uh, I don't know. It's got to be deeper than just, I don't know if I feel like it. We have to be driven by convictions according to the word of God. We've got to submit our hearts and be excited to publicly identify ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ if we haven't. With my one child right now, my one daughter, um, Evelyn, she's been asking for a couple years now about baptism. And one of the things I love is that uh, Ben interviews uh, my children when it's time for them and they, they really want to be baptized. And Ben just takes time to draw them out about their profession of faith to make sure that their profession of faith is really not just a profession, but actually the possession of true saving faith and true repentance has taken place so that they really know what they're doing. And I'm so thankful, Ben, for you and for John and just having pastors in my life that can help me navigate this. And we want to do that with your kids. We want to be a blessing to them. We want to see them all saved. We want to see them baptized and following Jesus. And But, you know, we've said to our daughter, Evelyn, we just told her, listen, sweetheart, we believe you're a Christian. And we do. We really believe that she's a born-again Christian. And But we want to make sure that her baptism is very meaningful to her so that when she's 
35 and 40 years old, she can look back on it and be reminded of what God had done in her and take comfort and solace in the finished work of Jesus Christ and remember her baptism. Your baptism is meant to be something that you remember lifelong, that you went into the waters of baptism and you publicly identified with your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who was was crucified for your sins and died and was buried and was raised to new life up from the dead. And your immersion in those baptism waters symbolizes your union with Christ together by faith and into the body of Christ. And brothers and sisters, it's meant to help bring you peace even later on in life and remind you of the assurance of your salvation. And so we really long to see Baptism as an ordinance that is cherished in our church. That we would be baptized together, that the baptism celebrations in our church would be like church parties where we celebrate what God has done. And we've been talking about that as an eldership, just how we can publicly profile our baptisms, where we can celebrate and party together as a church when people are getting saved and added to the church and baptized. We want to make it the celebration that it is. This was a happy day here at Pentecost. We want to encourage you to pray through that and give any of you the opportunity to publicly identify yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, share your testimony with all of us. We'll help you along in that. That's a glorious thing. It gives great pleasure to God when we obey the Lord's command to baptism. And having said all that, I want to remind you of what I said earlier, which is that baptism itself doesn't save you. So we want you to be motivated in all this by the grace of God. It is a command. It is very important. And it's something we need to take seriously but it's also something that we must remind ourselves when we come to this and reckon with it that we are saved by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, and not by anything that we do. It's all because of what Christ has done on the cross that we are born again and saved. And the reason I tell you this is because there are those who heretically believe that baptism, water baptism, is necessary for salvation. There's a church right in this area right here that believes that. And when they come and they seek to tell you the gospel, they will tell you that you need to be baptized in their church or you are not going to heaven. That's heresy. One is saved from the wrath to come when they repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And baptism symbolizes that reality. So we cherish the symbol and we celebrate what it symbolizes. But we are saved by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. And may we never forget that. May we never turn aside from sola fide, sola gratia, sola Christos. We are saved by Christ alone. And let us not forget that. That is vital. So we look forward to our baptism August 21st. Sign up if you're interested. We'd love to talk with you as pastors and celebrate that together with you. The final point is just a short word here. 
It says those who received Peter's word were baptized, so they obeyed that ordinance, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is glorious. They were called out of the world. They repented of their sins. They were cut to the heart, and they weren't just cut to the heart emotionally and walked away and said, we're not going to change our lives. They were cut to the heart, and they turned from their sins in repentance. They were baptized, which symbolized their saving faith in Christ and their union together with Christ. And their sins had been forgiven. And that evidence of all of that being real and genuine in their life is manifested here in verse 41. They received His Word by faith. They were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls to the church. Brothers and sisters, the Christian life is not meant to be a life where the church is kept on the periphery of our lives. Where we dip our feet in every once in a while to cool ourselves off from the heat of this dry and weary land where there is no water. And just continue to go along our merry way. The church is meant to be where we are added. Where we are joined together as the body of Christ in a close interdependent relationship where we don't have a heart attitude of, I don't need you, as the illustration the body of Christ talks about, but rather instead, we are a counterculture where we recognize, I have need of you. I have need of every one of you here. And you all, and I wish to say this personally, You all are vital to my perseverance in the faith all the way to heaven. You all are vital to my wife Shannon's perseverance all the way to heaven and to my children's perseverance in the faith all the way to heaven. Oh, what good it can be when you are listening to Shaq tell you, turn right, turn right, turn right, and instead you've got people all around you in the front seat and back seat saying, no, no, CB, CB, don't turn off to the right. Keep going straight. I know where we're going. Listen, don't listen to that. Shut it off. Shut that voice off. Shut it. No, he's telling you to go the wrong way. Go straight. Don't drive into the lake, CB. No, you're tempted there. I understand. I'm tempted as well. No, let's go straight together. Let's continue to band together. Let's encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, Hebrews 10 says so that we will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, so we will continue to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let's take seriously the call in Scripture here in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost to be added to the church, to be joined, to be joined in vital union together with the body of Christ, and to not have a mindset like we said last week, of what church do I attend, but what church am I joining? What church am I building? What church am I going to be a vital part of and a vital presence in? What church am I going to use my gifts in to build up the body? What church am I going to say, I'm going to help these brothers and sisters along with myself on our journey toward heaven together? And we take church and being added to the church seriously. We're going to have a new members class coming up this fall. I want to encourage those of you who have been around for a while, long-time attenders, and you've kind of been putting your feet into the church, but you haven't yet dived in as a member. I want to encourage you. We believe that church membership is an important principle. We believe that being joined together and identifying and allowing your pastors to know that 
we want to be cared for underneath of this pastoral care. And for us as pastors to know who we're caring for, it's vital for us to know these things. And we want to encourage you to look and say, you know what? I felt the water long enough. I'm diving in. And let's dive in together. Let's swim in the pool together. Let's enjoy the refreshing waters of fellowship and the life of our local church here together. Let us continue to help each other in the lifestyle and lifetime of repentance. Let us be baptized together. And let us also be added together, brothers and sisters in Christ. Remembering our precious Lord and Savior, who loved us and gave himself for our sins on the cross. Let us pray. God, I pray for anybody right now who's at the crossroads and they feel tempted to wander. God, I understand it. I I feel it. I feel it regularly. I feel temptation all around my life. God, I pray that you would protect them and you would safeguard them. Lord, help it not be that they end up through a series of deceptions and wrong turns, end up actually going 180 degrees the opposite direction of what you desire for them to go. Lord, such is the deceitful nature of our hearts that we can actually be going in the opposite direction and think we're going in the right direction. God, open our eyes. Help us to repent of our sins and turn to Christ in repentance and in faith. Help us to really joyfully receive the forgiveness of sins. And help us this morning. Lord, for those uh, children in our church who have not yet been water baptized, I pray that they would really go to you in prayer and seek your face. For those adults who haven't yet been water baptized, as a, a choice of their own to publicly identify with their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that you would move on their hearts and help them to see the significance of that step and the grace that it is for their souls and that they would be motivated to respond to your word. And Lord, that some would be baptized and share their testimony publicly with all of us so we can celebrate and party about it together. Lord, I also pray for all of us that we would be added in and truly added in. God, I've been a longtime member here at this church, but God, please help me even to re-up in my commitment to be all in with this group of brothers and sisters that you've called me together with. Help me, God, to not be slack in my devotion. Help me, Lord, to continue to run passionately this race alongside of them and do everything I can to help them on their journey along toward heaven. They are vital for my perseverance. And we all are vital for one another's perseverance. And we are all in a fight of faith. Help us, God, to take that seriously. And we love you and we're so grateful. Because, Lord, none of this would even be possible had you not laid your life down on the cross and was crucified for our sins, buried and raised to new life, Lord. We are so grateful for all that you've done. And we celebrate our salvation together. Strengthen all of us as a church body together. Galvanize us. Make us as one spirit together. Fighting together as one. Worshiping together as one. Celebrating your amazing grace in our lives together as one. And Lord, running this race together as one. All the way to heaven. So that we get to heaven and celebrate you forever together. I ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Excellent. If any of you need prayer, would like to come and talk, would love to do that with you. Just want to let you know you're very loved, church. Very grateful for you. Thanks for your heart of love for God's word.
Have a great 4th of July.